Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning as we begin. Heavenly Father, as we come now to this time of opening up your word and worshiping you, Lord, because you are creator and king, we worship you by coming to your word and listening to your voice today. And Father, on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, but as we look at where we derive our value, the value of human life, let us see your glory all the more clearly. This I ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open with me this morning, right out there at the front of the the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, we're looking at verses 26 through 27, two little verses there. This is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and this whole month is Sanctity of of Life Month, uh, beginning here January, so I always want to take pause looking at our society. There's, there's not a lot of valuing of life in our world today. And so we need to, to look at where we do get the value of human life and consider that today. The Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And stand with me, if you will, in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. A culture of death pervades our society today. This culture of death really got its foothold in our society 43 years ago this week, starting back in January 22nd, 1973, when the Supreme Court handed down their infamous ruling requiring every state to give women unfettered access to abortion up until even the time of birth. Since then, close to 55 million babies have been murdered. 55 million babies murdered. That is 44 million more souls murdered here in the United States of America than in Hitler's Holocaust. 44 million more. And abortion, that was just the beginning of the devaluing of human life. You may remember uh, last year, Brittany Maynard, 29-year-old, who had terminal brain cancer. 
She chose to leave her home in California to, to go up to Oregon where doctor-assisted suicide was then legal. Now it's become legal even in California since then. But she went up there to uh, have doctor-assisted suicide. And our secular culture, our secular, secular news media glorified that whole thing. Glorifying this taking of human life. And Dr. Kevorkian, Dr. Death, as he used to be called, he shocked America back in, well, I remember back in the day when I was graduating high school, it, it, he shocked America by his insistence upon doctor-assisted suicide, but yet now today it is legal in five states, five states. And that number is just growing, growing, growing. Like I say, California just passed it this year. Many more states will follow suit shortly. The next logical step in all this then is, uh, and it's move quickly, quickly moving that direction, is the euthanizing of the elderly and those who are able to produce. Now you might think, oh no, no. Yeah, it's moving that direction. It's moving that direction real quickly. If you think that won't happen here, just think about what has developed in our culture here in the last 10 years. 10 years ago, I wouldn't have imagined some of the things that are legal today that are legal. We're headed that direction. The culture of death is, has its grip on our society. And unless we take action, it will destroy us the key here the key to change this culture of death is worldview worldview that is that thing that kind of motivates us and, and the the view that we ground our beliefs in the beliefs that we we ground all of our uh, way of life in our decisions are grounded in a worldview and there are two prevailing worldviews that are in conflict here in America today. One is the secular worldview and the biblical worldview. And we see that as, as Christians or the secular world is butting heads. Unfortunately, the secular world seems to be winning at this time. But things can change. To change the culture of death, which now pervades society, Christians must be assertive in their efforts to cultivate the biblical worldview that all human life is created in the image of God. That's how we're going to change things. We're going to change things through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Introducing people to the glory and the majesty of God. Let me say that again. To change this culture of death which pervades our society, Christians must be assertive in their efforts to cultivate the biblical worldview that all human life is created in the image of God. So then where do we begin with this? Where do we begin to cultivate this biblical worldview of the sanctity of human life? Well, it begins with ourselves. It begins with ourselves. We must first embrace a biblical worldview of human life. 
We must first embrace a biblical worldview of human life. And here we begin by understanding where value is derived. And the value of human life is derived from our Creator. The value of human life, the value of our lives, is not derived from anything outside of ourselves. Nothing in this world is not derived by what we can do and what we can produce, but it's derived from our being created in the image and likeness of God. And the value of all human life is derived from the fact that all human life is made in the image and likeness of God. We see that in our verse today. I'm, this is Genesis chapter 1. It's a, a, a fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. It, the Bible begins with this understanding. And God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. Now, this is completely contrary to the secular worldview. And this has been true throughout the ages. You go back and study history, and, and you look at the, the Hebrew worldview of life, even back in Abraham's day, and the Mesopotamian worldview of human life, the secular worldview of that day of human life, it, it was derived from two different places. The, the worldviews, they, they based the, the value on life on two different things. Of course, we got the Hebrew, we got Abraham's uh, view of human life. It's based on the image and likeness of God. But in Mesopotamia, where, where uh, Abraham came from, he came out of the land of Ur. That, that's Mesopotamia. And, and so that worldview out there, see, they, they viewed man as being created not in the image and likeness of God, but they saw it that their gods, they created man out of their own laziness. And so the view of these, these, other, uh, these other nations, these other uh, religions, is that the gods, and this is even true even down through even all of the, the mythology of Greek and Roman culture, the gods basically create man out of a, a laziness. They were tired of doing all the work. They were tired of providing for themselves, so they created man to do the work and to provide sacrifices unto the gods. And so you can see here where the value of human life comes from. If that's the case, if the, God, if the gods created man to work, then our value is based upon not whose image we bear, but on our ability to produce. And really, that's the same view with the secular worldview, isn't it? The secular worldview is based upon uh, today's God. It's the God of evolution. And the God of evolution states that only the strong survive. 
The strong survive. So if you're not able to produce, if you're not strong enough to survive, then you're not worthy of life. And, and so that life can be snuffed out. That's the view at the core of the whole abortion issue. What makes that child's life any less valuable than the mother's life? Well, they'll say that because it's because that that little baby is just a mass of tissue. It can't produce anything. It can't do anything. It has no real value. It's just a, a ball of tissue. Therefore, you can destroy that little ball of tissue and not worry about it. The Scripture tells us that that little ball of tissue is not just a ball of tissue. It's a human being created in the image and likeness of God. And praise God with the use of ultrasound and especially 3D ultrasound these days. A lot of that has, has worked to change people's view when they can actually see that that little, little being in there, that little human being, it, it looks like a human. It has arms, it has legs, it has a head, and this has worked. Thank God to change some people's minds. But we ought not to have just that to change our minds. It's based upon God's Word. All human life is created in the image and likeness of God. And therefore, it is to be valued. It is to be valued. You can also see this, and if you still have your Bibles open, you can flip over there with me. Uh, Genesis chapter 9. Verse 6, this is after Noah comes out of the ark and, and God is renewing a covenant with Noah. And here God puts in a provision. Here God says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image right why is the death penalty all right why does the bible give the, the death penalty as a, a right thing to do it's because murder destroys the image of god murder destroys a human being it destroys the human bear or the the bearer of the image of god that's what the Bible tells us. Why is it wrong to kill? It's wrong because human beings bear the image and likeness of God. Human life is sacred life. All human life. From the baby in the womb to the elderly on their deathbed, all human life is created in the image and likeness of God. Every child born with Down syndrome is created in the image and likeness of God. Every child born with any kind of defect is created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, they don't derive their value just because they're not able to, to do what everybody else in the world does. They derive their value because they are created in the image and likeness of God. That precious child who is born disabled, 
unable to, to feed him or herself. It's still created in the image and likeness of God. And it's so valuable. We must understand and we must embrace the sanctity of all human life. We must embrace the sanctity of all human life. We gotta, we gotta say it and we have to believe it. We have to believe it. And how we believe it, how we demonstrate that we believe it, works its way out in how we treat others. It's like this. I can tell my daughter, you need to eat vegetables. Vegetables are good for you. But if I go around and I don't eat my vegetables, then I'm, the message that I'm really sending is that vegetables aren't really good for you. A lot of people in the world today, they'll say, especially Christians, will say that we value human life, we believe in the sanctity of human life, and, and when it comes to abortion, we'll, we'll put it up there. Yes, we're pro-life. But then we'll put other people down. And we won't have any problem being a racist. Looking on other people as inferior to us. Because they're not made the way we're made. They don't act the way we act. They don't do the things that we do. And so what, com what message does that communicate when we devalue someone just because they don't have the same color skin as we have? What message does that send to the world when we don't value people just because they have disabilities? It really communicates that we don't really believe the Bible that all human life, red, yellow, black, and white, they're all precious in His sight because each and every one is created in the image and likeness of God. So if we're going to embrace this, if we're going to embrace the, the value of human life, the biblical worldview of the sanctity of human life, then we got to embrace it in all of our lives and in all of our dealings with all other people. We must embrace a biblical worldview of human life. Once we have then embraced a biblical worldview of human life, then we must take the next step and, and begin to influence society with a biblical worldview of human life. We've got to begin to influence our society. We've got to do this. We've got to carry on. We are called to do this. We're called to, to make a difference in our world. We're not called to just to be loners. We're not called to just kind of board ourselves up in our own little community and, and not do anything else in the world. We're called to make a difference, to influence our society. We're called to be a light in the midst of darkness. A light in the midst of darkness. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and you don't have to turn there, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, Jesus tells us, You are the salt of the earth, 
But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, right? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're, to, we're called to be lights in the midst of darkness. We're called to influence our society with a biblical worldview. Now, this is completely contrary to the secular worldview. In fact, today, we, we have a secular worldview that says that, uh, you know, they like to, like to tout the, the, the whole thing of the, the separation of church and state. Now, they take it completely out of the context that the framers, our forefathers, intended. But they'll take that, and, and what they say about that is, is we've got to have the separation of church and state. And so what that means in a secular mindset is that we can, we can have our religion here in this building. Or we can have our religion at our homes. But we can't take our worldview, our biblical worldview, into the secular stage. No, we've got to leave all of that at home, and we just kind of got to go with what the world says, what the secular world says and believes. That's what the secular world says. We, we don't want a politician, in their view. We don't want a politician who has uh, a religious stance. In fact, they'll even ask the politicians, does your Christianity, does your religion, does your faith influence how you will act in office? And there are some who say, yeah, no, no, not at all. Praise God for the few who will say, yes, indeed it will. We're not to leave our religion. We're not to leave our faith at home or in the church building. We're to live out our faith in the world. And be a light in the midst of darkness. We must be influential. We must be influential. And we, we, we are influential, first of all. How, do, how, do, how are we influential? How can we be influential? First of all, that begins at home. We must begin at home. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 tells us. It, it commands us to be influential at home, to model and mold our children. There in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, he, he tells us this command that I give you today, it shall be on your heart. And you shall teach it diligently to your children. You're to teach it diligently to your children. They're not supposed to come get it at youth group. That's not where they get it. They first get it at home. It's only added to in youth group. Our children's ministry, our Sunday school class, it begins, all begins at home. Parents, grandparents, you must be influential at home with your families. 
to inject your biblical worldview in your life, in the life of your family. You're influential at home. You're also influential in your community. You must be influential in your community. That means you begin to, to live out your faith in community, around your neighbors, around your friends. You even get involved in, in community events and the community affairs. There's so many organizations out there that, that help us to get involved in our community and begin to, to pour into our community. We can get involved in the right to life. The right to life is a great movement to help build up a biblical worldview of human life. Getting involved in that, helping them hand out literature and, and those types of things. You can get involved, get involved in the community. And for some of you, it may be getting involved in politics, right? God calls some men and some women to get out there and do that job. He hasn't called me, praise the Lord. I don't, I don't want to be involved in politics. I had enough of that when my dad was sheriff. But... Some people, he calls to that, and they have that knack. And, and if God is calling you into politics, uh, praise the Lord. Get in there. Do the work of the Lord in politics. As you influence government and society, we must influence, be influential in our communities. We must be influential by using our gifts and our talents. Must be influential by using our gifts and our talents. Some people aren't called to, to, to preach and, and, and that sort of thing like I am. Some people aren't called to that public, uh, more of a public life. Uh, but there are people who are gifted in writing. And they need to use their gift of writing to write about the sanctity of human life. There's those who are, are gifted with drawing and painting and that sort of thing. And, and you should be, whatever your gift and talent is, uh, ask God, how can I use this? How can I use this talent? How can I use this gift to influence others with a biblical worldview of human life? And it doesn't just stop with human life. I mean, we, we, a biblical worldview across the board. We use our gifts and talents. We influence at home. We influence in our communities. We're influenced by using our gifts and our talents. And, and think about this. Now, if you're in a, a huge stadium, a, a big football stadium, and if there's one person in that football stadium screaming to the top of their lungs, no one outside may hear that one person screaming, but you get a thousand couple of thousand, a couple of ten thousand in there, and you can hear the ranting and raving from miles away, can't you? You see, that's the way it is for us. Christians need to stand up for their biblical worldview. And they need to shout it out and proclaim it. It's not just about one person or two people, but as we began to, to come together and do what we're called to do, to be a light in the midst of this darkness, then guess what? When we come together, that light will begin to shine brighter and brighter and brighter, and the world will hear us more and more. 
We need to influence society with biblical worldview of human life. So, to change a culture of death, we have to embrace a biblical worldview of human life and influence society with a biblical worldview of human life. And finally, we have to extend hope to the hopeless with a biblical worldview of human life. We must extend hope to the hopeless with a biblical worldview of human life. What do we say to that woman who has had or that man who has influenced a woman to have an abortion? It's easy to sit on the sidelines and condemn but guess what? That human life is made in the image and likeness of God. As noted in a recent Focus on the Family publication, based on current abortion rates, about one in three women will have an abortion by the age of 45. One in three. Looking at this audience, there's a good chance that someone in here has either had an abortion or been a part of an abortion. And they don't tell you beforehand about the guilt that comes after the fact. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling the guilt. Maybe you're hurting. What hope do you have? There's hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we extend hope to the hopeless with the biblical worldview of human life? We proclaim the hope that is in the gospel. We proclaim the hope that is in the gospel. Dear friend, if you have been there, if you have been involved, you're feeling that guilt. Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of your sins, including that one. And you can find forgiveness. He bore the shame. He bore the guilt so that you might be freed from it. And he stands before you today and he extends that, that gift of grace. If you'll trust in me, believe in me, I will free you from all your sins. To extend hope to the hopeless, we must proclaim the gospel. Every mother who has had an abortion, every father who has encouraged an abortion, they are still created in the image and likeness of God. Their life is still valuable. Your life is still valuable. And God loved you in such a way that He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. And He offers you hope if you'll just trust in Him. We must proclaim hope that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we must help the hurting. We must help the hurting. We must reach out to those that are around us. We've got to reach out to those who are around us. Reach out to those who are, are, are under, under pressure, uh, coming to a, a crisis pregnancy. We've got to reach out to them, help them. 
There's a lot of young mothers out here who are surprised by abortion. And and never mind if it was because of sin. Never mind that. There's hope in Christ. And we can offer them hope. We can offer them help. We can get behind them. We can support them. We can bring them in and, and point them to Christ. We can get involved. We can get involved. There's, there's so many of those, the, the, the pregnancy, uh, crisis pregnancy centers out there. And, and the, these pro, uh, crisis pregnancy centers are doing wonderful work to change the abortion rate in our nation. And praise God, we've seen that abortion rate decline here in just the last few years. And a lot of it is due to those crisis pregnancy centers. We need to get behind those people. We need to get behind them and get involved, help them out however we can. And as we do that, we offer help to those who are hurting. What did Jesus do when he met the woman at the well in John chapter 4? As he met her there, yes, he didn't belittle her sin. He didn't, he, he didn't make, uh, make short her sin. He addressed the sin, but then he offered the water of everlasting life. We can't sit back and just point our fingers and say, what have you done? We've got to offer the hope of Christ to all who will believe. We must extend hope to the hopeless with our biblical worldview of human life. Change is possible. Change is possible. If we'll only work together, if we'll, make, we'll strive to make a difference in this world, we can see change. We have seen change in the past few years. And we can continue to see change if we'll just work together. Now, have you ever heard of a, a woman named, by the name of Hannah Moore? Probably not. Unless you're a serious a history buff, you probably haven't heard of, of Hannah Moore. But you probably have heard, if you can, kind of remember back in your, your days of school, you, you may have heard of William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce, he was the subject of a, a movie that came out a few years back called Amazing Grace. William Wilberforce was a famous parliamentarian and abolitionist who, in the face of great opposition, fought tooth and nail for some 18 years to see British Parliament, British Parliament uh, abolish the slave trade throughout the British Empire. In 1807, against all odds, his dream was finally realized. Now, we remember William Wilberforce. We remember him because his name is on the public record. His name was there as, as giving that legislation, bringing that legislation to the floor of Parliament. But make no mistake about it, William Wilberforce did not accomplish that on his own. You see, while Wilber, Wilberforce was persuading Parliament... Hannah Moore was persuading the public opinion. 
more a, a fellow abolitionist with Wilberforce, was a poet and a writer. She used her skill as a poet and a writer to change public opinion about slavery and by producing poetry and tracts and, and letters that revealed the, human, the inhumane treatment of slaves and the cruelty of the slave trade. Moore's efforts, Moore's efforts united with Wilberforce's efforts, united with the whole host of other abolitionists who passed out those tracts who engaged in conversations with, with friends and neighbors about the cruelties of slavery. All of these worked together to bring about a shift in cultural opinion, which then led to the abolition of slavery throughout the British Empire. As they made a difference in their cultural as they change cultural opinions of their day concerning slavery, we can make a difference. We can change cultural opinion about abortion, about the, the sanctity of human life. Adjoining hands, using our gifts and talents, influencing our culture with a biblical worldview of human life, extending Hope to the hopeless with a biblical worldview of human life, we can make a difference. To change the culture of death which now pervades our society, Christians must be assertive in their efforts to cultivate the biblical worldview that all human life, from conception, to death, and even beyond death, created in the image and likeness of God. What are you doing to make a change in our world? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we don't based the value of our lives on what we can do. We thank you that we value human life and, and we value others because all are created in your image and likeness. You didn't create us because you were lazy. You're the almighty God. created us because you loved us and wanted to give us the gift of life. Oh, Father, may we understand that. May it change the way that we treat others, even on a daily basis. May we be involved in society such a way that we might change our culture with this biblical worldview and this biblical understanding the sanctity of all human life. This I ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I'll ask David to come up this morning.
stand. Right, stand with us if you will.